You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. All right. Hey, we started a series last week um, called Core Values. You guys say Core Values. Uh, and and these core values are the values that we are rolling out to us as a church, not as simply a series, but with an understanding that this is going to be the undercurrent of the culture in the life of our church. We want people to understand who we are and what we're about as a church. And these values go, go far beyond just our ecclesiology or our church makeup, right? It goes far beyond that. These things, these values should be penetrating our lives. It should be things that we walk out in our daily lives. And so um, our heart is that as we begin to unroll these core values to us as a church, and as we begin to adopt them, that these things don't become second nature. I like to call it first nature. These begin to be the things that we truly are just about. And so um, here we go. Just a little bit of recap from last week. Last week, our first core value that we unrolled was, is, is our first, and it is first in order. Um, some of these won't be given in order, but this one, the first and primary value that we have is in order, and it's its rightful place. Our number one core value is to be Jesus-centered, Right. Jesus-centered is our primary core value. Jesus is the central theme and focus of all we do and all we are as a church. And because of that, we have to recognize his place. He is the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Not a man. It's not a pastor. It's not an eldership team. Jesus is the head of the church, which means as we break that down to a personal place, Jesus is the head of my life. This is what we call the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think we, uh, we can be very heavy on the salvation aspect of Jesus. Jesus is savior. How many of you love the fact that Jesus saved you? You could say yes and amen to that. How many of you love the fact that Jesus saved you? Okay, so we love the fact that we are saved by Jesus, by his sacrifice. But the unique thing about that is we did nothing to receive that salvation. That salvation was given to us freely by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And Romans tells us that if we believe, right, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that we will be um, saved. All we have to do is receive what has always already taken place. It was a free gift. Salvation is ours. I love Savior Jesus. But what happens after we enter into this relationship with Savior Jesus is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only Savior, Jesus is Lord. We have now entered into this kingdom And we know that where there is a kingdom, there is a king. And there's only one king in the kingdom of God, and his name is Jesus. It's the rightful place that God gave him. Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above every other name, the name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is Lord. Now, that verse in Philippians has a prophetic kind of content. It says, 
In, it, like in that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for the sons and daughters of God, it's not that will happen. It is this does happen. Those who have said yes to Jesus, we now submit to his lordship. We now confess that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are now in sync with heaven. And as heaven has already declared Jesus as king, we as citizens of heaven now declare the same thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we submit to his lordship. Jesus is a central human focus for us, not only as a church, but for us as a people. Can you say amen to that? So this primary um, um, core value, we, as we rolled it out, I, I want you to understand that we didn't take or, or spend time creating values and then at the end of those values say, okay, what Bible verses support these values that we have? I, I want us to know as a people that the values we have aren't being supported by scripture. The values that we have are based and standing on scripture. Do you guys understand the difference? So we, we can say, hey, this is our value, and then go and cherry pick a bunch of verses that support this ideology or this theology that we have, but we, we can't do that as a people of God. We stand on scripture. And so these values aren't based on scripture, right? They, they are upheld and lifted by scripture. That makes sense to you? And so last week, Jesus centered uh, is not just our first, um, or Jesus centered is not only our first, but it's our primary value. It is our primary value to be Jesus centered. That word primary means of chief importance. It's our first thing. Jesus is our first thing. If you notice in the life of our church, we sing about him, right? We, we put his name in lights. And so I know you guys know all these things. I just, by, by way of reminder, want you to, to allow this to just kind of cultivate and penetrate your heart so you have an understanding. There's no question. And here's, here's why. As we were praying and seeking the Lord's face about these core values, we wanted every person who not only says that this is their church, but even those who walk into the life of our church, whether they come for a season or whether, whether they're visiting, we want everyone to know what we're about. And the tricky part about that is it can't just be held by a select few. A value can't just be held by leaders and, and those who you might see on stage who get a microphone and have the ability to communicate. It needs to be something that people see from the entire body. And so our heart is that not only a select few are carrying these values, but every person in the life of our church is carrying these values. And so when people are looking at Restoration LA as a local expression of the body of Christ, we want the world to know that Restoration LA is about Jesus and that we are Jesus-centered above all else. You can look at any other church, and I'm not, we're, we're not comparing ourselves to any other church, but you can very easily see what churches are about if you just check out their website or if you just hear some of the talks. You know, some of them can say, hey, we're all about the Bible. And, and, and the Bible is good, but I just want to remind us, the Bible is not God, right? Yes, the Bible and the scripture are the holy word given to us by God, but we can't honor the gift more than we honor the gift giver. Jesus is God and he is our primary. We worship Jesus. You guys good with that? Okay. Um, and so when, when, you, when you think about 
Where in the scripture do we see this primary value of of Jesus-centered, of Jesus being first, Jesus being our primary affection. I want you to turn your your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We are going to have a Sunday school lesson, if that's okay with you. And what I mean by Sunday school lesson is if you're a child and you grew up in church, um, there was some some fundamentals that we learned as children uh, of Bible verses, Bible stories. And so this morning, I believe this is going to be one of those lessons for us. How many of you know it's okay to go back to Sunday school every now and then? You guys all right with that? Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 34. So I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. If you guys um, want to follow along in your Bibles, that's great. If you don't, I I believe they'll have it on the screens behind us. But it says this, when some Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, with his reply, they met together to question him again. Let me give you a little bit of context. Um, So the religious leaders at the time of Jesus being on earth were always doing what they could to stump him theologically, right? They were arrogant with their knowledge of God. They were arrogant with their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, these were men who, who created processes and, and who created teachings. And, 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 and they were men who, who dedicated them lives to God, to Jehovah, Yahweh. They, they were men who were dedicated to doing these things. But what happened was when Jesus reveals himself on earth, and, and here's the thing about religion. Jesus didn't go through the proper channels, according to these men, to be able to carry the authority that he carried to minister in the way that he ministered. And so this is what religion does. When God, the spirit of the living God comes upon you, you're now called to walk out your life with Jesus in supernatural ways. Those with religious spirits will look at you and say, whoa, slow down, buddy. Like you haven't gone through the discipleship class yet. And, whoa, hold on, buddy. You know, you haven't gone to the members course yet. And, whoa, hold on here. Like, there's, there's some, some boxes that you haven't checked yet. You can't do these things just yet. And so Jesus flipped all of that on his head. And so when these religious leaders at the time saw him ministering, they did everything that they could to put him back in the box that they wanted him to be in. And so the Sadducees had done this, and now the Pharisees are doing this right here in this passage. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of context. Is that good? So now they met together, listen to this, to question him again. Can you imagine being out and ministering, and and people just followed you to question you? And not question you like they had serious, like, hey, can you run, like, tell me what this means? Like, those are good questions. Uh, I I had a... um, ministered to a guy for about an hour in the alley on Thursday, I believe. And he just had crazy questions, crazy questions, creation, Genesis. Did Jesus ever call himself God? I mean, just all these kind of questions. I mean, they were good questions. They weren't like, you know, he was attacking me with these questions. These, these guys were attacking Jesus. Verse 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, so you could just got this guy came out of the best seminary uh, that Jerusalem had to offer. He was an expert in Jewish law, and he tried to trap Jesus with this question: "Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses?" Now, listen. We need to to kind of listen up now. 
Jesus is being asked a question. Which is the most important commandment? And I don't know about you, but I'd like to know what the main thing is. I like to know when I'm about to, to tackle the project, tell me what the main thing is so I can start attacking that thing first. Right? I like to do the hard thing first and so that I can do the, the other things after. Right? And so Jesus is about to answer this question, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, you guys, if you have your Bibles, I want you to underline this, circle it, highlight it, however you like to mark up your Bible, do it, do it nicely so that this stands out. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in all of your mind. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now listen, if you've been around Restoration LA in, in, in the last 11 years, you know that this is a verse that we stand on in the life of our church. This is part of our value system. Jesus is the first and the greatest. Our greatest call as a people of God is to love Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. There, there is nothing that you can do in the life of this church more important than loving Jesus. And, and, and maybe you've been part of different expressions of church, or maybe you've just had different understandings of what that might, might look like. What is my, my greatest value in the life of the church? And your greatest value and your greatest job and your greatest part to play is to love Jesus. This is our heart for you. That Jesus can not be the central theme and focus of your life and cannot be the central theme and focus of our togetherness if we do not love Jesus in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He follows this with verse 39 and, 30 and 40. I'll, I'll, I'll just read it for context. A second is equally important. The second is equally important, and we'll share this um, in, a, in a next sermon in this same series. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love God, and we love people. This is what we're about as, as a church. This is what we're to be about as a people, to love God and to love people. The entire law, listen to this, the entire law, everything that we stand on as a people, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's simple. I mean, I know that there's so many other things that we, we feel like we're supposed to be doing as a church. There's so many other things that like, like, man, if, if, if I'm not on time, then I'm not a good Christian. Or if I, if I haven't kept in step with the Bible reading program, then I'm not a good Christian. And if, if I didn't go to that membership class and whatever, then I'm not a good Christian. And I'm even going to put this out here and I might be shooting myself in the foot, but if I don't sign up for a ministry on September 26th, then I'm not a good Christian and I'm going to fall out of favor with the church. The entire law and all of the demands of heaven, listen to this, is based on these two things. That we love God and that we love people. This is what Jesus is drawing us into. And this is what was messing with these religious leaders. These religious leaders who did so many things to get the approval of heaven. 
I mean, they had to wear like robes and garbs. There was a uniform. Can you imagine having to wear a uniform? And, and, and some of us, listen, we, like I, I was in the military and, the Marine, and one of the greatest privileges was to put on that uniform. And so there, 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 is, a, there is some like, like sentiment of, man, this is, I, I've, I've earned something, right? But we're not talking about man's structure. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And so, like, it would be pretty awesome if we're like, hey, everyone has to wear a uniform. When I was growing up, that kind of uniform of the day was like, you had to wear your Sunday's best. Anybody grow up in church wearing your Sunday's best? Like, hey, it was a reflection. What you wore was a reflection of how you felt about God. Now, I believe that as as, as people of God, that we should pay attention to how we dress. I believe that we should pay attention to, you know, whatever it looks like. I think, you know, I think we should be modest in our dress, but I think we can dress nice. I think if anything that we wear, you know, kind of is a distraction for others, that's men and ladies, whatever that looks like. If it's a distraction, then maybe we need to be careful with that. But listen, that's not the mandate of the church. When we come to God, God receives us as we are. And these two things that he puts on us is to love me and to love others. All of these other things come after that. Are you guys with me? So the first and greatest commandment in the kingdom of, is to love God. And so how we drew from our value to, to be Jesus-centered from this scripture is really easy. Jesus is God. Therefore, he should be the center of our life. How many, how many of you have, have ever like developed like a, a new love? And, and, and I'm not just talking about like relationally, but it could be relationally. Like, let's say you start dating, right? You start dating someone. And so when you start dating, like now your love is new and it's young and it's fresh. And then what happens? That person becomes the center of your world, Right? Right? Your world just starts to revolve around that person because it's like a new love. I could do a little something a little simpler for some of us. How about puppies? Maybe you ever got a puppy? If you love puppies, something's wrong with you. I mean, puppies are cute, but puppies are not easy, right? I mean, you got to worry about the puppy. It's like having a kid. You, you got to be there at a certain time and you can't, you got to put them out. And like, but, but your world starts revolving around a little puppy. Right? Like, it's just the craziest thing. This comes like the central theme and focus. It could be a career, a new job. And now your world is now, your, 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 your life is revolving around this new job because it's this new passion. And all your energy is just circling around this new job and this new career. And all, so it, we, we know what it's like to have something as the central theme and focus of our life. But what Jesus is saying through this portion of scripture is that's my place. That's my place. John 1, 1 says this in the beginning was the word. Can you say word in the beginning was a word word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is our first love and Jesus is our greatest love. This is his rightful place, and it will continue to be his rightful place in the life of our church. And I pray as individuals, this value we adopt above everything else. Are you with me? 
So Jesus is God, and because he is God, we are commanded by Scripture to love him first and to love him the greatest. No one else gets that place. No one else gets that place. So um, I want us to turn to Revelation chapter if you guys have your Bible. Um, we will revisit Matthew chapter 22, but Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in with verse 1. And if you know anything about the prophetic writings of, of John's revelation in, in, in Revelation, these are the things to come, right? The, the things to come, the second coming of Christ, the, 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 the judgment of of all mankind for all time, the, the eternity that we will enter into as saints and unfortunately the eternal separation from God for those who have rejected Christ as Lord. The things to come we see in Revelation, but in chapter 22, listen to this. And this is Jesus speaking. As John's revelation, Jesus is speaking. He says this, write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And that word angel is angelus. It's a messenger. It can be, it also be interpreted kind of as the pastor of that church. Write this to the, to the head messenger of that church in Ephesus. And this is the message. And this is a, this is a prophetic um, revelation. So I want us to get the spirit of what's being said. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. This is a message from Jesus himself. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. And this is what he tells the church. I know all the things that you do. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And so I want to I narrow this, these, this passage down a little bit. This is what Jesus is saying. I know all of the religious activity that you have been doing. I know all of the energy. I know all of the upholding of the methods. I understand and I've seen all the things that you believe that you're doing for me. I see it. Listen to this, old church. Verse 4. But I have this complaint against you. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. These great commandments that, he, that Jesus gave us when he walked the earth in Matthew 22 are the same commandments that he is going to uphold at the end of the age. They're the same commandments that he is going to hold to us when he looks at all the boxes that were checked. There's going to be two there. There's going to be two. It's not going to be, oh, did I, did I get to church on time? And, oh, man, did I do the members course? I didn't even do the members course. And or, or whatever it looks like. I mean, my, my attendance was pretty good. I mean, I was like 75% I was at church. And so that's like at least a C. That's passing for heaven. That should get me in, right? Like we, we, we have this criteria of, 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 of what we're holding our, that we're holding ourselves against. But this is what Jesus is going to hold us to. There's two boxes was Jesus our primary love? And did we love others? It's important, church. This is powerful. Our primary 
value is that we will be Jesus-centered, Jesus-lovers, followed by our love for people. Are you with me? You don't love me as you did at first, but verse 5 says this, look how far you have fallen. Look how far you have fallen. You've fallen so far from your first love. And this is what he says. Listen, turn back to me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me and listen to this, friends, and do the works you did at first. I don't know about you, but do you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? Or, or maybe even a time when you gave your life back to Jesus. Because some of us have done that as well, right? Maybe we've fallen away from the Lord. And so, you know, there's, you know, maybe a religious term would be backsliding. It's not a biblical term, but you, you kind of slid back from your relationship with the Lord. And then you say, I got to readjust this again. And then you dive back in to your relationship with Jesus and you're spending time with him and, you, and you're praying and you're listening to him and you're reading scripture. And yes, you are gathering with the saints as we are commanded to do and worshiping Jesus because we are connected to the body of Christ. And Jesus is saying, go back to the work that you did at first. You remember when you first fell in love with me? You remember when I was your first and you couldn't get enough of me and you were listening to Christian radio and you were listening to all the sermons that you could and, and, and you were reading your Bible and you wanted to be at church and you wanted to be with the people of God because it was exciting and it was new. And this was your, your, your this new love that you were experiencing. Go back to that. Go back to that. Go back to the love that you had at first. And this is what he says, this, turn back to, to me and do the works you did at first. Your first job, your first work, listen friends, it's not really a job, it's a relationship, it's to love Jesus. Your primary job in this church is to love Jesus. And yes, you might think I got to get to church and so many who serve here and we thank you for your service. We thank you for blessing us with your ministry, whether you're on worship or, or, or children's ministry or toddler's ministry or facility, whatever it is, we, we understand that, hey, sometimes when you come to this place, you're like, oh, I got to get something done and I got to make sure that's good and make sure your first job is to love Jesus. Can you say amen to that? All right, so now I got to preach today's sermon. You got Value number two, if you guys wouldn't mind patting your, your, your thighs for a drum roll. Value number two, I can't even hear it. Let's go. Value number two, here we go. Value number two is this, every person matters. Every person matters. And, and, and I, I want us to, to, to really think about this statement, not just at face value. Every, can you say every? Every person matters. The statement on our value statement reads like this. Each person is created in the image of God. Look at someone next to you and say, you look like your father. <laughs> you are created in the image of God. Now, some of you look like your natural moms, but you look like your heavenly father. But you, Chloe looks like her dad. I don't care what any of you say. I don't care what any of you say. Um, each person is created in the image of God, endowed, listen friends, with creativity and entrusted with spiritual gifts. We are each called to make unique and humble contributions to the church and to the world. Every person 
matters. This is um, the second value we're presenting. It's not second in order, but it's the second value we're presenting today. At face value, this value um, can, listen, have a sense of otherness, right? So as soon as we read this, every person matters. Our first go-to is others, right? Others matter. But this morning, I just really felt like the Spirit of God would have me, have me massage this into you. Because you're here, and you're receiving from the Lord today. I want you to listen to me, friends. You matter. You matter. The Lord sees you as an individual. Every man, woman, and child, not only in this room, not only that have entered in through these doors, but every person we also encounter out in the world they matter, but you matter. And I think sometimes when it comes to church life, it's always about the otherness, and it's always about the otherness and the otherness that we never get the sense of, I matter. And that the Lord's love for you has to be primary so that you have something to draw from when you love other people. You matter to God. You have been created in the image of your father. You have been endowed with creativity and been entrusted with spiritual gifts. You are called to make a unique and humble contribution to the church and to the world. You matter. You are significant. The value that we carry at Restoration LA is every person matters. One thing we used to say very often um, early on in the life of the church was that our church, I'm sorry, you don't exist to build what we're doing as this church exists to build you up. There's a a different understanding of that. Let me kind of help you with that. Have you ever belonged to an organization where everything that you did was for their sake. Everything you did was for their sake. You're just pouring in. You're giving it for them. It's for the mission. It's for the everything. You're pouring in for their sake. And the church exists for the sake of the body to build up saints. When we, when we look at scripture and see how we actually do this, it is for the building up of saints. Jesus is building his church. But I believe because the Great Commission, we're called to make disciples, the church is building disciples. We exist to lift you up. You're not here to lift up the church, if you get what I'm saying. There's a value system there. Because if the organization is more important than you, then you're always going to suffer. But if you're more important, then there's a different value there. Every person matters. And so it looks like this. Let's just say you come into the life of the church and you are broken and bruised and battered spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever. You have nothing to offer the church in your broken state. 
And then someone else comes in and they're high powered. You know, they're just like got crazy capacity. You know, they just got, they're on fire and they got all this stuff they can do. You know, they can lead worship and preach the gospel and they're crazy evangelists. They bring 12 people with them to church every Sunday. I mean, these people are just, I mean, so when we look at the two people, which one has greater value? Because in some structures, the one who is, bringing and contributing and all of those things has more value than the one who is broken has nothing to offer. Do you see what I'm saying, church? In God's economy, the person who walks in off the streets who has nothing to offer us as a church, and I'm going to show us this in Corinthians, actually has more value than the one who has everything to offer. The one who is polished and knows the Bible verses and has those cool Bibles that have the tabs in them because it's like, like, I mean, all that stuff, right? The super Christians. I have one of those Bibles on me. You matter because you've been created in the image of God. You've been endowed with ability to create like your father creates. You've been entrusted with spiritual gifts. Sorry. I think I need some water. You... Listen, friends, you have a place at the table. Isn't that amazing? That you have a place at the table. There's a place at the table for you. It's not someone else's place. It's your place. It's even have, it has your name on it. Have you ever, like, got invited to a place and then, like, you realized they didn't have room for you? Or maybe they just kind of added you on and said, yeah, come, we'll see what happens. I mean, it happens with anything, you know, Mexican that happens. Yeah, just come, we'll see what happens. Happened at my wedding and half the people didn't get to eat because we had too many people there. Mm. Don't remind my wife about that. She's, she, that's a sore spot. You have a place at the table. Listen, friends, you have a vital role to play in this family that we call the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 12, and I'm going to do my best to speed up. Verse 12 reads like this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts. Has what? Many parts. But all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So just like a body has many parts, Scripture is telling us it's the same way with Jesus and his church. It's the same way. There's many parts that make up one body. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what your ethnic background is, doesn't matter what your heritage is, it doesn't matter what your spiritual background is. We form one body. There's no slave or free. We are all given to one spirit or given one spirit to drink. Verse 14. Even so, the body is, is made up, I'm sorry, is not made up of one part, but of many. Say many. The body is made of many parts. And so we got to see the nuances here. There's dynamics here that we have to pay attention to. Because I think in American culture, cultural church, there can be this conveyor belt processing of Christians. This, this cookie cutter looking things that when you enter the church, you're like this. And then after a certain amount of time, you must look like this. 
And so everyone's coming out of this conveyor system and you're all looking the same and you're all talking the same and you're all doing the same thing. But Jesus is saying the body is more diverse than that. There's there's so much more nuance to that. There's people who come into this salvation thing that it's not a thing into this beautiful thing of salvation at different places in their walk, at different places in their life. And, and some people can't just go through a conveyor belt or get nuked in a microwave. Some people are, are, are being kind of like in a crock pot and God's just doing a work and God's working on it. Some people are being placed in an oven and, and like there's, the, the baking time is different. The, the, the makeup is different. There, God is just doing it. And, and we have to recognize that in the life of a church. That the value systems that we might carry culturally aren't the value systems that the kingdom of heaven is operating under. Right? So verse 14 says this. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, then it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And I want to give attention to this. I want to give attention to this because I believe this happens in church. You can come into the life of a church and from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, wow, there's a culture here. Right? There's, there's, there's something happening here. There's a type of Christian that's being produced here and I just don't know if I'm like that yet, right? Or, or, or there might be, you know, kind of things that the church is about, and, and, and we enter into this thing, and you're just like, whoa, I'm just like, I don't know how I fit in. I'm just not built like that. And I've, I've heard people say things like that, even in the life of our church, or, or I can't do what you do. And, and, I, I, and I'm, I need us to understand this. And this is in Scripture. Listen, when a foot says that I don't belong because I am not a hand, there's something, there's something missing. Anyone who comes into the life of the church and has this overwhelming sensation that I don't belong because I'm not like Val. I can't do what Val does. Or I don't, I don't belong because, man, I don't, I don't have the gifting that, that Luis carries. There's something wrong. There's something missing. Something's been lost in translation in this thing we call church. This thing, listen, friends, that we call family, right? I don't belong to the body. This is, listen, friends, I, I need to just call this out for what it is. This is a lie from the pit of hell, and it's a lie that needs to be exposed. It's a lie that needs to be exposed because here's the thing. In Scripture, I believe, I believe the Scripture touches a nerve in something that we need to pay attention to. I am feeling like I don't belong. It's not that the church is coming up to you and saying, oh, yeah, you don't belong. Yeah, you know, you don't sing on key, so you're not going to really fit in here. Like, I'm, I'm using silly things, but these things happen, right? And, and, and I, have to, I want to believe and I'm trusting with my whole heart. And if this is not true and it has not been your experience, I would love for you to talk to me about something to the contrary so that we can be better. But I don't believe that the church is walking, and Restoration LA as a local expression of the church, is walking up and saying, yeah, I don't really belong here. I believe it's a lie from the pit of hell when you enter into the presence of God and you're trying to connect with this body that something is telling you, yeah, you don't belong here. You're not, you're not a hand. 
You know, you, you don't you don't have the passion that these guys have. And, you know, you don't do some of the funky dances that some of those young girls do in the front. Like, you don't do that. You don't belong here. It's, there's something that we start judging by outer appearance and different expressions that I don't belong. Where does that come from? Who said that to you? I don't believe it was God. And I want to trust with my whole heart that it wasn't God's family. Where did that lie come from? What happens with this lie is it, it morphs from I don't belong to others don't believe I belong. When that lie sits and festers in us as, as, as a part of the body, when we feel like we don't belong, it will eventually morph into some. When it's left unchecked, it'll morph into something like, oh, you know, people don't think I fit in here. So who said that? Who said that? What, like, what, tell me, and who, I, I want us to evaluate that. I want, and I'm, why I'm presenting these things to you is I've been around church life long enough to have experienced all of this. To have experienced all of this. In different arenas, in church, as a leader, as a non-leader, whatever that is, I've experienced this. And I've experienced these things where I didn't feel like I belonged because I couldn't do what that guy did. And then eventually I felt like, you know what? I don't think they think I belong. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. And we have to address it. We have to address it. And listen, I really believe that this spirit, and I'm going to put a name on it, it's called an orphan spirit. And an orphan spirit is always sense of not being able to belong and not being able to connect to that which you're called to naturally connect to. Now, Vanessa and I have, have had the privilege of, of adopting three kids, which many of you know about. And as we, as, we, as we have adopted, we have, to the best of our ability, loved our adopted children just as much as we have our natural children. And even, and our older children can probably attest to this, at the expense of our natural children to ensure that these adopted children knew that they were loved and accepted and brought in. But what happens with an orphan spirit is there's this innate lie that they believe that because there is no DNA sharing, that they don't really belong. And this is what happens with the church, is there's an orphan spirit in us because we're not attached and we're not connected. And so we, do, we can't really belong because we don't look like that. And we have to expose that, friends. We have to allow God to evaluate us and say, is this something that I'm experiencing? And if it is, Lord, please purge it from my life, right? It's a, it's a seed planted by insecurity and doubt. And it can, it can subtly turn into a critical spirit. And as that critical spirit comes in, then we start believing things like, oh, look, at, there's a click over there. and There's a click over there. And, you know, whatever that looks like. Listen, friends, if you believe there's a click, I give you permission. You got permission from the pastor. Invade that thing. Invade it. Like if you see like hey, these people are like meeting and no one else gets to meet, go jump up in the middle of that thing. I'm coming. I'm going to be there. We're one family. And if you see all of the noses hanging around, the noses are the nosy people in the church. No, I'm just kidding. If you see all the noses hanging around, you'd be like, look at all those noses hanging around. I'm going to go hang out with them. We're all connected. You have permission to get involved and be in there. We're one body. Are you with me? 
You sure? Okay. Listen to the scripture, though. Just because... We've said in our hearts, I don't belong, doesn't mean that's the truth. And we can get to that place if we don't really feel connected. And so, um, verse 16, by the Holy Spirit's leading, the Apostle Paul pinned the same thought and process again. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And I want us to pay attention to that second part now. Just because you said it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you said, I feel like I don't fit in, doesn't mean that that's true. Just because you feel like you're not a part of the body doesn't mean it's true. If you take, take the family dynamics, if there's a child in the life of the family that is saying, I don't fit in, I'm not part of this family. Like the rest of the family, like, are you kidding me? Of course you're part of this family. Yes, you are part of this family. You're a son. You're a daughter. Whatever it is, we do everything we can to ensure that that person knows you are absolutely part of this family. Why? Because every person matters. And so we can't allow these lies to begin to percolate and penetrate and to sprout up um, things in our lives. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? Listen, friends, I want to give us this point. The Lord loves diversity. The Lord loves diversity. And I love what Jesus is building at Restoration LA. But I'm going to be really honest with you. And, and, and um, the Lord has sent pieces and gifts to the life of this church who has rattled some people's cages. And let me tell you what that means. We are in East L.A. East L.A. is, is a primarily Hispanic area. Yes? Yes. When you come into the life of this church on a Sunday morning, a lot of people go like, whoa, there's a lot of different kind of people here. They don't see that in East L.A. at large, but it's happening here because Jesus is building something significant in his sovereignty, which I love. But that rattles some people's cages because we, as cultural churches, we love for the people that we worship with to look like us, right? And so when you look at that, you look at a lot of churches, a lot of churches are segregated by demographics, right? You have the Hispanic churches, right? You have the white churches, you have the black churches, you have the Asian churches, and it, it, it's culturally acceptable because it's who we're comfortable with gathering with. And there is some geographical things because, hey, you know, um, my, my friend leads a church up in Placerville and he said, hey, give me some thoughts about the church. You know, tell me what you think. And honestly, my first thought was, man, this church is really white. Um, but I didn't say that because I knew geographically there's no one but white people in that entire county. Like, I mean, who's he going to go get? Like, are they going to fly people in? Like, what are they going to do? Like, you, you can only minister to the people that God calls you to. God is doing something special here. But listen, even that thing can rattle people's cages. Why? Because we love comfort. We love seeing people that look like us. I love people seeing people that don't look like us. I absolutely love that. And you know why I love that? Because we need different expressions. We need different cultural expressions there, there. And there's uniqueness, even even. I mean, just think about how much more rich we are as a local church because of the diversity that's in this room. 
And it's the same with the body of Christ, right? The Lord loves diversity. If the whole body were an eye, if the whole body was had a sense, um, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where the sense of smell be? If we were all the same, how boring would that be? Think about that. How boring would the body of Christ be? And I'm not just talking about skin color. I'm talking about gifting. I'm talking about who we are as a people. The same, um, verse 18. But in, in fact, God places the parts in the body, every one of them. Listen to this. God placed every part of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Acts would tell us that God ordains the times and places for men to dwell. And here, there's a, a better nuance of the life of the church, that God places the parts of the body where he wants them to be. And so I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're right where you're supposed to be. Listen, God, if God has placed you here, if God has placed you in this place, if God has connected you to this body, listen to this, friends, then be a part of the body. Be unique, be you, be the diverse you, be, carry the giftings that you carry and don't fret that you don't look like the elbow and don't fret that you don't look like, yeah, I know everyone wants to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but you know, we need some, some elbows too, right? Try to scratch your ear without an elbow and see what happens. Yeah, some of you are like, let me see, never, never mind. All right, we need elbows. The Lord loves diversity. He has placed them just where he wanted them to be. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? Do you guys remember, what was it, Adam's family? It was the hand, was it, was it, what was the hand's name? Thing, yeah. I mean, can you imagine? That'd be creepy. The, I mean, we're just all hands, right? You see hands and feet. We all want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're a body. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head, Right? If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. There's many parts, but just one body. Listen, friends, every person matters. Every part matters. Every part. That's our value system. The Lord desires oneness when it comes to this body, right? As it is, there's many parts, but there's one body. And I'm going to reference John 17, 22, and it says this. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as you and I are one. Jesus and the Father were one. Two very different functions in the Godhead. God's role in the Trinity is very different than Jesus the Son's role. Very different, but we honor them as they are one. And it's the same with this body. Jesus is saying, I want them to be one as you and I are one. We have different functions. You, the Father, me, the Son, there's different functions. Same with the body. You might be a hand. You might be a foot. Different functions. But he's wanting us to be one. Can we honor each other with the value system of heaven and saying, you matter. Even if you don't look like me, you matter. Even if, if, if you don't have the same giftings as me, you matter. Even, listen, friends, if you have... A different theology than I do. Jesus says you matter. Jesus desires our oneness as a church. I cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Now this is, this is, this is some strong language because there's an exclamation mark in this scripture. The I cannot say, I don't need you. 
And so even in the life of the church, if, if you feel like, man, you know, man, I'm going full force for Jesus and I'm watching people around here just like dragging behind. You cannot tell those other parts that you don't need them. You cannot tell those other parts that they are not needed and that they don't matter. There's a, there's, let me get into this because there's a value and I'm done. Um, and I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. Just like we have um, to break down the mentality that I don't fit in. We equally, equally have to break down the mentality that others don't fit in. We have to break that down. Because every person matters. Every person that walks through these doors automatically has a seat at the table automatically has a seat at the table. It's not a place that they have to earn. It's not a place that they have to strive for. They have a place at the table because Jesus says so. There must be a place of higher value on the weaker parts of the body. Newcomers, seekers, and young Christians. We have to give them more attention in the life of this body. Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They're indispensable. And the parts that we think is less honorable, we treat with special honor. Are you listening to this, friends? It goes to the verse that says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. God flips stuff on his head always. And so in the life of the church, you'd be like, oh, the pastor, he's got to be the most important person in the church. That's the most important part of the body in this local church. It's actually not. It's those who are weaker. Those who have less value and culturalize that have a place of honor. Are you following me? And the parts that are un, listen to this friends, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Jesus is identifying there's going to be parts that enter the, the local church and the body that are going to look unpresentable. That as face value, you see them and like, yeah, I don't know. No, they're the ones that matter. They're the ones that matter because every person matters. Verse 24, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Lastly, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. I love Jesus. Every parts matters, equal value, equal concern, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Friends, I pray that you have as much concern for me as I do for you. And I pray that you have much, as much concern for the person sitting next to you as you do for yourself. But here's what I pray even more, that we have more concern for those who walk through those doors for the first time that we have more concern because they need to know what it means to fit into this body. They need to know that they belong before they do one thing. Oh, I'll stop. You guys, what am I standing with me this morning? Thank you for um, allowing me to go a little bit longer than I should. But here's our heart. We prayed something this morning during our prayer time. And what we prayed was 
to have the ability to navigate through the dynamics of sowing and reaping. We believe this is going to be a season that we are going to be sowing. We already know as a church, we are going to be planting a church. We are, are sending some of our best. Um, um, Linton and Sarah will be planting a church at the beginning of the year to um, Alabama. They're actually going to be going next week, so we need to pray for them. Um, Huntsville, Alabama. We are sending some of our best. We, we could potentially be sending more as as time's going. We believe in reaping and sowing. And as we send, we believe that God is going to be adding. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Are we ready? Are we living in attention of being able to let go and allow God to add to us? And this is what happens. If you have kids, you know what this feels like. When you have one more kid, just one little beautiful little baby, I mean, disrupts the entire everything. It changes all the dynamics. And it's what happens in the life of a church. God sends one of his beautiful babies into the life of the church, and it just shifts things. We have to prepare for that. We have to be spiritually prepared for that, and we have to embrace it. Yes, God is adding to his church, and every part matters because every person matters. Do you believe that? And if you do, friends, I really believe it's not a value that we just hold. It's a value that we live. Amen? Jesus, thank you for the patience of this uh, group of people. <laughs> But Lord, I pray that if there's anything in this message this morning that we need to allow to penetrate our hearts, that by your spirit, it will do so. Lord, if we carry any prejudices, Lord, I pray those things will break in the name of Jesus. Lord, if we have theological prejudices, this is what I believe and this is how I believe and I want everyone else to believe the same. Lord, I pray that if it's not a heaven or hell issue, that those things will break in the name of Jesus. Lord, if we have preferences that outweigh other people's preferences, Lord, I pray that you will begin to shift those things and you will begin to give us your eyes, your eyes for the weaker, your eyes for the less than, your eyes for, for those parts that don't seem as significant as others. Lord, I pray you give us a heart for the insignificant parts of the life of our church. Lord, I pray that if we gravitate towards the easy relationships in, in the church, or that you will give us a heart to step into some of those relationships that might be a little more difficult. People who think different, act different, live different, different generation, different culture. Help us, Jesus. Tear down the walls that we have built up. Tear down the walls that culture has placed on us. Tear down the religious structures that have divided your church for far too long. Jesus, we want to be the, the, the body that you're building. You are the head. And because you are the head, you say every part matters. And to us, every person matters. Help us with this value in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Thank you, guys. Um, awesome. I owe you seven minutes. I don't know how I'll give it back to you, but I promise I will. Um, love you guys. Have a great week. Don't forget, uh, this next coming week, Vanessa and I will be headed up to Placerville um, to minister at Westside Church 
International. And so please be praying for us as we go up there to minister. Also, you guys have an amazing treat. I'm going to set you up for success, bro. Um, Gavin Benjafield is going to be preaching on Sunday. So uh, it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be going to be a great Sunday. Um, also, don't forget two weeks. You guys have times to pray and massage and ask the Lord, hey, where do you want me to serve? Regardless. We are feasting. So come out on the 26th. We are going to share meals and we're going to have a great time. Love you guys. Have a great week. See you soon.